there are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you this week from Racing, Wisconsin, when I'm out doing some consulting. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. It was originally inspired by the meaning and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years and now complements the work that I do at Insignium, which is a global management consulting firm. I'll get to my program in just a moment, but let me thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. They are the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over the search so they can find work close to home. In a previous episode, we were on the air with Principal Evan Robb, who is a middle school principal in Virginia. We talked about many fascinating ideas in education and his passion to develop a growth mindset in his students and faculty. And in sharing that episode on social media, I met my guest for this episode. With us is Edward Watson, who is a mindset coach and the founder and CEO of InterDrive, located in London, England. InterDrive works in education and businesses, coaching students and teachers to realize their potential and to cope effectively with pressure. We will be talking about how he founded InterDrive and the work that they do, what he's actually seeing in schools and and kids in terms of what may be problematic and how to address that, and his specific ideas about how to better utilize, believe it or not, our mobile phones. He joins us today via Skype from London. Edward, welcome to Working on Purpose. Uh, Thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm so glad I found you on Skype and that you were game for this conversation. I want to get as much out of you as I possibly can in a short amount of time. So let's just dive in, no pun intended. Um, so you founded your company, InterDrive, 11 years ago. Let me just start with that. Why? Why did you found this company? Well, I think one of the reasons I founded it was really because I wanted to make a, a difference in the world. And I think at the time I saw a lot of, skills and attitudes to work and, and life that, that, that people were being expected to acquire almost by osmosis when I, I thought that they could actually be taught and coached. And I think people were being left out on a limb a bit, um, particularly in education, but primarily in sport, which is where we first started. So that's really why, why I started it. What a concept, right? The idea of what problem in the world do I want to help solve that I can uniquely address? And you've done that. And of course, I'm a big fan of what you're doing. Now, I know, based on what I've seen of, of, your, of your history, that what you do with the company today is a bit different than it was when you, when you first founded it. How has the company evolved? Well, I think when we first started, we were, I have a particular interest in sport. Um, I was very interested in, in taking some of the ideas that I had, and I, I met somebody um, who was a sports psychologist, so we sort of fell into the idea of helping sportsmen be the best that they could be. Um, as we went along, I'd, I'd always been interested in education and young, um, helping young people get the best that they could out of, of particularly the transition between um, academic life and, and work life. Uh, and we got really presented with the opportunity to try some work out in schools, which we did um, over sort of six-month period. Uh, and the schools loved it, and we built on what we'd learned from that particular experience, which was really about helping young people using some of the skills and techniques that we'd use, that we'd which we developed uh, during our, our sporting work. So that's kind of where we've got to. We do work with uh, many businesses now, but most of our work, most of our bread and butter work, is still in education, where we help people use their brains, brains to be as effective as they can be. I want to call out at least one important thing that you said there, Edward, for the purposes of this particular show. So many of the people that listen and call to listen, and they're looking for ways to either change their career lives or consider maybe going to business for themselves. And I want to call out that you, what you founded the company for is not exactly the what it's doing today, that you were able to respond to an emerging need in the marketplace and, and treat that. And I really think it's important for listeners to get that. Oftentimes, whatever great idea that we have for a business, it can actually get transformed 
formed as the marketplace responds to it. So I just think it's so important how you were able to do that. Kudos. Yeah, and I've, I've, I come from an entrepreneurial background as well. Uh, and I, I think that's been my experience of being an entrepreneur is that the initial idea, you just got to get it out there and start. And then when you get out there, you find out what really needs to be done. Uh, and so you have to be reasonably flexible, but also spot the opportunities when they come up and don't be afraid to change. Mm, absolutely. I think today change in the marketplace is huge, right? So I, a lot of the work that we do in consulting has to do with helping organizations transform themselves to embrace change and opportunity. So I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, speaking of your past, I didn't actually realize to the extent to which you were an entrepreneur in the past, but I do know that you spent seven years in the Army. And I'm wondering if that experience at all helped to inform your perspective on people realizing their potential or coping with stress or pressure. Anything in there? Yeah, I I was very, I I consider myself to be very lucky and privileged to have worked worked with a whole bunch of people in the army from from different backgrounds, very, very different backgrounds. And I think one of the things that you find out when people get put under severe amounts of pressure, stress, deprivation, hardship, is you start seeing what the human body and the human mind is capable of, particularly under pressure. And it is capable of the most extraordinary things, given the right motivation and the right right tools to be able to solve some really rather difficult and dangerous problems. And it's no different from from, uh, really any organization. The the organization, the strength of the organization comes from its people. And if you've got good people and you, you help them and you train them and you lead them well, uh, there's not a lot that cannot be achieved. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, um, there are many, obviously, Edward, we have many common interests, but I do think that the, the very work that you're doing to help students uh, more effectively cope with pressure and stress and tension is, is so important, and I know it I know it probably translates to the work that you do within businesses as well, but right, if, if we know nothing about work today, we know it's full of tension and pressure and stress. And so part of the reason I wanted you to talk about what the work that you do is to help us gain some more insight into that. So um, will you help us understand the work that you do at Interdrime? How do you work with students and teachers? Okay, so we very much work um, on the basis of... Of two main two main um, uh, ideas, and the first of which is that you have to have the right mindset in order to get yourself into a, into a position to be able to succeed. Um, and then the second part of it is that once you've got yourself into that position, then you need to be able to demonstrate it in front of other people under pressure. So that means that most of our work, well, our primary work really is down to uh, what we would call the mastery mindset, but encompasses a lot of work that Carol Dweck did on growth mindset where we're looking at, um, at habits, really, of, of success, um, things like taking responsibility, uh, setting goals, learning, learning every day, um, how you think, uh, the use of resources, work ethic, preparation ethic, all the things that you would expect in that particular category. And then uh, when we talk about how you would then implement that, i.e. performing under pressure, then we're talking about things like self-talk, uh, emotional control, what you focus on when you're under pressure, uh, and then some reasonably basic um, stuff around the body and how you use the body and breathing and stuff like that. So the pressure piece, I'm interested to know, as somebody who does work with individuals to coach and with organizations to be able to develop them, how do you situate or position that bit about the pressure piece? i, I, I got to believe that you have to presence the idea of pressure when you're working with students and teachers. So how do you situate that so that they feel that pressure? Um, That's an an interesting one. I think um, one of the things that we start off with with the idea is that pressure isn't necessarily bad, and actually most of uh, the good performances out there come when people are under pressure. So it's not necessarily bad. It's how you you deal with the sort of excess pressure, I suppose. Um, And we, um, we do a lot of coaching around how you deal with specific parts of that pressure and the specific things that your brain does as a result of pressure. Uh, And we can demonstrate some of those things um, with various games. Uh, So, for instance, you can show um, brain overload with things like 
uh, with sort of basic experiments that overload the brain, uh, particularly when you're under pressure. Um, I, I think one of the one of the great tools that we use, particularly in in, in uh, education, um, more powerful now than perhaps it was in the past, is this idea of standing up in front of other people and saying what you think about something, um, which has become quite a pressured event um, for young people now and helping people with that particular idea. Okay, so just really quick, and then I, I won't do too much longer, but yeah. I'm fascinated on this because it really is really interesting, the work that you do. So once you help somebody, you presence for someone, a student or a teacher, how they respond to pressure. Let's just say, you know, however you do it, let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being you, you know, you're great at it, and 1 being you suck at it, whatever it is. You help them identify how they respond. Then are you then giving them tools or approaches to being able to improve their their response to pressure. Oh, what are absolutely. You doing? I mean, if I take as an example, um, one of the concepts we talk about is the concept of um, automatic negative thoughts, or if you take the first letters letters of that, that's ants. Um, that everybody has negative thoughts, which are sort of regulating your um, performance. Uh, stopping you doing silly things, really. Um, but when you're trying to perform under pressure, you need to be able to manage those negative thoughts and to be able to deal with them. So we give very simple tools and techniques for students to be able to regulate uh, and stop those negative thoughts. Okay. Gorgeous, gorgeous. I just wanted to, I'm doing this for two reasons, um, Edward. One, I'm hopelessly curious myself, and I oftentimes see my radio shows as a way to be able to share my own professional development with my, with yeah. my listenership. Um, but two, I think it's just so important for listeners to understand that you really are addressing, it's not a matter of I'm bad at responding to pressure, it's how can we help you get better at responding to pressure, which is, of course, the whole premise of the growth mindset. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. one of our the basis of our of our work is um, particularly this is a personal feeling in uh, psychology, but or sports psychology. There's a lot of work on you know why stuff happens and um, you know why that's bad. Um, but we constantly ask ourselves the question: So what? So what can you do about it? I, a sort of a common metaphor that I use is if you say to somebody, particularly a sportsman, you've got to eat 50% protein and 30% fat and 20% carbohydrate or whatever the numbers are, um, they'll just, they'll sport, a normal sportsman will just look at you and go, just tell me what, give me a menu and I'll eat it. <laughs> and so that's kind of where we go, which is like, so here we do highlight what the, the, the problems are and why that could be an issue, but at the end of the day, there's got to be something that you can do about it. Otherwise, it's not much help. Mm-hmm. Mm. So applaud that. Well, for this next question, let me kind of give a little bit of context for our listeners here. So, obviously, you work in the world of coaching and mental skills development for business, for students, for teachers. And it's really the whole idea around a growth mindset. And one of the things that you said in our phone conversation is that there's a typical mindset that's held today around failure. And you said it's gone cosmically bad, (laughs) which I thought that was an incredibly descriptive phrase. So let's talk about that. What do you mean that failure has gone so bad for us today? How we see failure has gone so bad for us today? Um, Well... I think you have to start with um, what failure is and how it affects us. Uh, so uh, one of the things about growth mindset is um, is the idea, of, which is effectively a learning, um, it's about learning, is that the failures and mistakes actually are very integral and uh, a part of learning in a very efficient way and powerful way of learning. Um, and if, if you think back to childhood when we were learning to walk, we probably fell over three, four hundred times as we were learning to walk, and each one of those was a massive and, and very painful failure. Uh, and yet, with that type of mindset that we had in those days, that was just part of learning, and we just learned to walk faster as a result. And yet, our society really now encourages the idea that failure is bad. It's labeled as bad, and in particularly in the media, um, there's this daily attempts to, to punish failure, to find out who's to, fall, uh, uh, to blame for this particular problem, 
to humiliate them publicly and then and, and then get them sacked or get them to resign. Uh, whereas actually, particularly in sport, you learn that actually failure is, is really, really important. Uh, and the, the only mistake you can make is being scared of it. Um, so what we sort of espouse is the idea that if you aren't making mistakes and you aren't failing, then you're just not trying hard enough because it's easy not to make mistakes and it's easy not to fail. Just don't do anything hard. And you, you won't learn anything, but you won't fail. Um, and so for that, for, for students, particularly in, uh, in our environment and the way that society has gone, the students, that's a massive revelation is that actually it's important to, to take risks, make mistakes, and fail. And, and it, you mustn't mistake what I'm trying to say here, which is to say, like, well, obviously that just means you need to fail more. We, we don't say that at all because, you know, at the end of the day, you do have to succeed. Um, but what we're saying is that when you fail, you need to fail better. And by failing better, I mean taking the risks, doing the hard things, and then asking for... Uh, and dealing with some of the unpleasant aspects and actioning feedback um, so that you can learn faster. And that, particularly in sport, you see it the whole time. It is about finding out what can be done better, working out how you're going to do it better, asking for help as to how you're going to do it better, and then doing something about it. Oh, that is a beautiful explanation, Edward, and a perfect way to take us into our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We are here with Edward Watson, who is a mindset coach and the founder and CEO of Inner Drive, located in London, England. He is also the co-author of Release Your Inner Drive, Everything You Need to Know About How to Get Good at Stuff. He joins us today from London, England via Skype. We've been talking a bit about his approach to and why he founded the company and why it's important to be able to address and inculcate this right mindset to succeed. After the break, we're going to talk a little bit about what he's seeing in terms of students and some of the problems that he thinks needs to be addressed. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Edward Watson, who is a mindset coach and the founder and CEO of Inner Drive, located in London, England. Inner Drive works in education and businesses, coaching students and teachers to realize their potential and to cope effectively with pressure. He joins us today via Skype from London, England. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, before the break, we were talking about just how it is you got yourself into this business. Of course, you know I'm hopelessly fascinated. Now, I want to talk a bit, if we can, Edward, about what you're, you have a unique vantage point working with kids in schools, and you get to see families, etc. So, can you tell us what you're seeing in terms of how students are experiencing stress in their daily lives? What's going on for them? Um, what's occurring for them in this realm? Well, I think one of the things that we talked about uh, when we talked last was it, it's really 
the thing that's interesting is the differential changes uh, over the last 11 years. And we see it from a professional point of view. Um, we see changes in, in demand from schools. And, and, and it, is, it does seem to be split very much along gender lines. So uh, in, particularly in all female schools, we see a lot of requests now for what is effectively stress management. Because uh, I think that schools tell us that they're um, encountering very highly motivated uh, children who don't have trouble with motivating. They have trouble with being able to show show that they've got the abilities. They're, they're just highly stressed out. And in some places, it goes further than that. So we get into clinical issues uh, around self-harm, eating disorders, um, just inability to, to function. Um, and, and that's on, on the on the all, in the all girls school, and then we get almost a reverse in all male schools, where really we're looking, we can't get to the stress bit because we're we're talking more about uh, the motivation side, as in um, why am I here type questions, more fundamental questions, um, and there are a number of reasons why why. Uh, Teachers say that this sort of stuff might be happening, but that's that's what we're observing in in schools. Is there has been a change over the last three years in the way um, that that students are reacting to stress. Okay, let me make sure that we can in, we can summarize that for our listeners. So, what you what I heard you say is that when you look at when you go into all girls school, what you see is that they what they really need from you is being able to handle stress. And and they don't really care about motivational topics. They're plenty motivated. But when you go into boys' audiences, what you see is that they need really more of an address to uh, on motivational issues and aren't so concerned about stress. Did, is that right? Um, that's that's right. And you know, of course, the next question is so why? Uh, yeah. And I'm incredibly no. interested in, as you can imagine. Uh, and so again. It's not a scientific sample, and I, I ask pretty much every time I go in and uh, and talk. And some of it is it seems to be related to things around, um, particularly for females, around status, about image, uh, and um, the thing that is like the accelerator for it is is the prevalence of social media, really, and the ability to publish very easily. Uh, and so, in a way, um, you've got this device that allows people to make judgments on other people, and it's very, very potent in, in for, for if, if you're worried about your image. It's a, it's a bit of a, a, bit, a bit potent, I suppose. Uh, and then we have the reverse, really, with, with boys who don't seem to care that much about it about um, that type of thing. And uh, they're more, the types of issues that we see there are things around in, in, down at the bottom of the social heap, as it were, um, third-generation unemployed children who all they've known is, is unemployment. And so what does education have to do with that? Uh, and then at the top of the social pile, then you have a, a, even more insidious problem and that is we're all working so hard um, and a lot of these kids, uh, parents, both of them are working uh, and, the, and the parents naturally the, the solution to problems for their children is just to throw money at it so there's, there's kind of a social neglect going on at the t- that top end so you know ideas around education is, is power is, is kind of where we go um, as in this is something you really need to do to get out of these situations, uh, and so it is something important to do. Uh, sort of wrap wow. there. Yeah, no, there, there was so much you said there, Edward. There's so much in, in, in yeah. that. And one of the things that I, I think you're talking about, when, let's go to, on the girls' front. I, I have a 14-year-old daughter, as you might remember in our first conversation, so I, I don't really know much about the boys' world, but I know a little something about the girls' world, and I can say that... And interestingly enough, I have been asked to come into schools and, and do strengths coaching with, with girls especially. They're like, well, they don't have any problem with motivation. They just need to feel better about themselves. So that kind of gets at what you're saying. Um, 
talk talk to us. Do you know anything about the extent to which some of that social movement is manifesting in depression? Is it is there a difference between genders? Um, well, again, just from talking, the the, the problems are mainly uh, gender specific, as in it does tend to be focusing and more um, current. Well, more. There's a lot more of it in, in on the uh, female side, and and it's you know it is kind of um, I think it really needs to be addressed um, through education, um, both at parent level but also at the school level because it is kind of crushing people. So um, if image is so important to you and it's amplified and potentially crushed by social media, it, it that. It's just so it shouldn't be because a lot of the stuff that's out there on social media is just not true. Um, it's easy to manipulate uh, what you are, who you are, uh, and when you look at it from from the outside, it looks like everybody that you know is really successful and really happy. And um, but I know, you know, my one of my best friends posts photographs of uh, her and her family having a a wonderful time on these fantastic beaches and uh, in foreign parts of the world. But I know for sure that the last five, you know, that's the only five minutes that they all smiled during a holiday probably. Yeah. They, the rest of the time they were shouting at each other. Uh, but all you see is the finished product of someone who's successful and happy. And you look at your own life and you go, I'm not that happy and that successful. And so that breeds unhappiness and discontent and, 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 and kind of crushes uh, the spirit out of you. Okay, so what I what I'm what I'm getting from this the second conversation now with you is that because especially younger people have such a preponderance, they rely so much on social media to get their uh, to get their news, to stay connected, etc. That that they, maybe that there is an overabundance, an over accentuation on you know success and positivity and how great something and, and the rest of the world is and they when they're reading that they're looking at it going huh but I'm not successful so there must be something wrong with me is that part of what you think is fueling this problem yes I'm, and I'm, I'm not alone in thinking of that there's some great videos that's worth looking up um, Simon Sinek who's written some some who's, who's made some great videos on this sort of stuff it's, if there's you know a big gap between your expectation of your life and what your reality of your life is, then you're going to be unhappy. Uh, and and so, and social media builds up this, you know, anybody can be successful, anybody can get this and have these fantastic, this fantastic life, and life's not like that. Um, and, and also, it's just, it's probably one of the places in the world where you're both the prisoner of the system, but you can also be the judge and you can dole it out too. Um... So it's, and for me, it's about education. It's about education. It's just like, this isn't real. None of this stuff's real. Um, you know, some, well, some of it clearly is real. But um, it is, you know, you need to care more about yourself than you do about what other people are doing, I think is the main message I would give. Okay. And that is why I wanted to queue it up that way, Edward, just to kind of help our listeners understand why is this a problem? And then, of course, what can we do about it? So the education piece um, are you today addressing that piece in the work that you do? We are. We're work, we are working as hard as we can on it. It's one of those works in in progress. We do do it uh, um, as part of our of our other work, but we, I think, in this next academic year, we're going to really major on it because it has become so prevalent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the boys uh, again here in just a second, but let me let me finish up with the with the social media piece of it here. So, one of the things that, of course, I'm, I'm I care about in addition to what's happening from a societal vantage point um, as a movement is how these young minds show up in the workplace for them. So, what I'm curious about when you think about how social media works on these young minds. Um, how does that internalized view of that quick and wild success show up then for young adults coming into the workplace? Well, again, just from observation, there's been a big shift um, over the last uh, few um, decades, I suppose I'd say. is that So I, I think my generation, or possibly the generation before me, we were very much brought up on the idea that 
success comes from hard work. Uh, yeah, of course, you have to get the right jobs and you have to do stuff that you, you believe in. But really, if you work hard uh, uh, and uh, you, you will eventually get to a position where, after a lot of hard work, where you are at the top of the organization or you're successful or um, whatever it might be, sport, uh, performance, you know, uh, a business, whatever it happens to be. But if, you're, if you believe what's going on, on on social media, actually, you can get that stuff almost instantaneously. Um, and, you know, and so if you have to do all that boring stuff, why, why are you doing that? that boring stuff? Why do you have to do that boring stuff when you can get there um, almost uh, uh, immediately? And, and if your expectation is all of this fantastic stuff that's going to happen um, and uh, you don't get there, and then you're going to start asking questions. So one, one of the, the stories that really hit home to me was um, I, I was talking to an executive at a company and and She'd just done some annual reviews, and part of the annual reviews was was looking at some young analysts who'd just come into the firm, uh, and their feedback on the annual review was, uh, "We think that we should get involved in more strategic decisions." To which, you know, of course, you're going to be spitting into your cornflakes at that. It's like you've been there two seconds. Why? Why would we ask you for uh, stuff on strategic decisions when you need? years of experience and knowledge and hard graft to have got to a position where, I mean, this person had been working in that business for 25 years and knew it backwards and is clearly the person who should be making decisions on that particular organization. Uh, and so there's this sort of expectation um, that you don't, you, you can be really influential within a, a business before you're ready to be, and and we all know anybody who's been business in business knows that 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 the real world is completely different from that. That it takes hard work. You need to do the boring stuff. You need to get the spade work in before you get into a position where you've got the experience and the knowledge to make serious decisions about important businesses. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what I'm getting from this is that obviously this this uh, the social media then sets p- the young people up when they come into the workforce to be disillusioned, unhappy, disengaged, um, want more f- or different from the workforce than it really is prepared or can give. Everybody's uh, everybody gets upset, and and so I, I I think it's just really so important to call out what what this is and what is the disconnect. And I think you might remember that I also work with senior level communication students in Dallas to help them get and keep their first job. And that calibration of expectation is a big thing that we talk about. Do you address that in your programs at all as well, well we, in terms of what happens when they get to the workforce? We don't address that specifically. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's too, too rough to display me all on social media. I mean, I think to a certain extent the way that parenting has changed has changed it as well. So it's a very growth mindset thing. But if you just keep on going... At your child, if you keep on talking to your child and going, you're so clever, you're so intelligent, you're brilliant at this, it's just like, they'll believe you, they'll believe what you tell them. And so when they get into the workplace and they're not the most intelligent and they're not the most brilliant, there's a bit of a shock and it come, you get some interesting behavior uh, as a result of it. And, and I also don't think that sometimes, not always, but sometimes businesses don't help themselves because they're so desperate to get the hire that they set up the psychological con- contract between the the worker and the company wrong from the start. And if you set the psychological contract, and by that I mean this is what your job's going to be and this is what you can expect from it, if you set it up wrong at the start, at some stage when it doesn't turn out that way, the employee is going to go, it hasn't turned out that way, you've let me down, so I have no loyalty whatsoever to you. Wow, what a crisp way to delineate that, Edward. Um, I totally see that, totally see that in both the work that I do with students as well as organizations. I want to talk more about the boy part of the equation here, but let's go ahead and, and catch our last break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Edward Watson, who is a mindset coach and the founder and CEO of InnerDrive, located in London, England. He is the co-author of Release Your Inner Drive, Everything You Need to Know About How to Get Good at Stuff. He joins us today via Skype. 
in, in London. After the break, we'll hear more about the boys and also talk about his perspective on how we might better utilize mobile phones. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Edward Watson, who is a mindset coach and the founder and CEO of InnerDrive, located in London, England. InnerDrive works in education and businesses, coaching students and teachers to realize their potential and to cope effectively with pressure. He joins us today via Skype from London, England. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before the break, we were talking about what you're seeing in schools, and I wanted to say, have you say a bit more about the boy side of the equation, since we talked about the girls. Um, so I'm interested in the notion of the disaffected white males at the bottom of the academic ladder. And I do know because of my work that 57% of students, at least in the States, going to college are women or girls. Um, say more about what's happening for boys, do you think, in terms of what you've noticed in, in the school system and what we can do to perhaps address that? Well, again, this is another interesting um, problem that needs and is being addressed. Um, by a whole ton of people, is at the bottom, really, I say, of the social ladder rather than the academic ladder. Um, You've got a lot of kids who come from third-generation unemployed um, families, and uh, it is just... most people spend, most kids spend the vast majority of their time at home, not at school, uh, and uh, everyone has to go to school. So uh, these kids turn up for school, and, and what do you expect from them, really, than to be slightly disillusioned, well, very disillusioned? Um, some of them make the effort, uh, and some don't. And those that don't, uh, for me, that is um, is the really difficult thing, because... Uh, there will be in a class in a really um, uh, uh, hard school there will be three to four kids in a class whose sole role they see in the whole of life is to destroy what the teacher is trying to build within that class Uh, and then then there will be four or five guys who who get it uh, and they they really want to push through and they will push through despite what happens to the rest of them but the vast majority of the young boys in the middle, their their um, education is being wrecked by these people, um, and so you know there is a there is a big piece to be done in in trying to sort that particular issue out, um, and you know we have ideas. I mean, our ideas really are based around so why do we go to school and. Why is it societally so important and why is it important to you, in particular you personally, that you get an education? Primarily because it allows you to break out from where you are. Um, but 
But the difficulty with all of these approaches is this, is as somebody, as in fact a psychologist pointed out to me, is this, is it's like if you come from a community or a society where these behaviours are, they are the culture, you are trying to change, you're trying to tell a young person that that culture is wrong. And that is a really, really hard thing to do and a really hard thing to get somebody to change. Wow. There's so much you said in the, in those in that bit of dialogue about boys. Um, I, I guess the one thing I want to say is, well, there's two things I want to say. One is just the notion that the repeat cycle piece of the, and the expectation that what's the point about getting an education if you can't do anything with it anyway. So that whole notion of, you know, if, you, if we're trapped in a, in a cage long enough, once the cage bars are removed, we don't even know to try to get out. Yeah. I think there's something interesting about that. And then the second thing is just the repercussions of the other students in the, in the class who do want to learn something. They are there to learn, and they're being disrupted in doing so because of that particular population you're talking about. And that is an incredible shame. Well, again, there's quite an interesting, if you can find it on YouTube, a great little video that shows that you can do this with fleas. If you put fleas into a jar and you leave them there for three days, uh, and then you take the lid off, Fleas will not jump out of the um, out of the jar because they don't know that they can. Uh, and then, what's even worse than that is that the when they reproduce, their children won't either. Oh, that's incredible! Oh my gosh, that gave me goosebumps. That's just frightening. Uh, I do. I, I knew about. I certainly know about the former part of what you were talking about because of my previous work in, in psychology study. But I didn't know about the the, sec, the next generation piece of it. That's really frightening. Uh, okay. Well, we only have a little bit of time left here in this this third segment here, Edward. I want to be sure and talk about the very what I would consider to be quite a unique role or perspective that you have about mobile phones in our society and attitudes of young people. Tell us what's on your mind there for that. Oh, uh, yeah, this could be an interesting one. So, um, <laughs> so for me, it is reasonably easy to to show um, experimentally with kids um, that the brain finds it very difficult, if not impossible, to multitask. And yet, um, the real temptation of a phone, for instance, is to try and multitask, because it is always demanding your attention, even when you've got important stuff to do. Um, So so that's one aspect, as in it is just um, technically uh, the wrong thing to be having beside your desk when you're supposed to be doing work of any type. Um, the the next bit about it is because of the very very short um, uh, viewing times, whatever you'd like to call them, like five second um, bits of information uh, that phones tend to be used with. Uh, these pieces of equipment are, are teaching our children to to react in different ways, so they're. In effect, they're training children to be very, very unconcentrated, not able to concentrate for longer than five to ten seconds. And that is an issue, particularly at, uh, at school, but also as they get into the workforce. And you can see it everywhere. Uh, and the third bit, the third part of it, which makes them quite dangerous bits of kit, is, is the whole thing around sleep. Uh, and the effect that the phone has on the sleep cycle. So uh, the very, very, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm really simplifying here, but, but the brain's uh, sleep patterns are governed by light, uh, and the phone gives off uh, a very uh, intense white light that kind of mimics daylight, uh, and which tricks the brain into thinking it shouldn't be rele- releasing chemicals like melatonin, which allows the body to know when it's time to go to sleep. Uh, and yet we allow our kids to take their phones into their beds and start texting and doing all the things that they do in bed with this great big white light shining at them and telling them not to go to sleep. And, and lack of sleep has been shown uh, in numerous studies to um, lack of sleep it worsens concentration, worsens memory, uh, it reduces the ability to cope with stress, it reduces problem-solving skills, creativity. All of these things are things that you need uh, in the classroom and in the workplace. Uh, and I just the last three, four years, it's incredible what you see in the classroom. There are kids in there who can barely keep their eyes open because they've been on the phone all night. Uh, and that is... 
an issue. And I, it, for me as a parent, I think the greatest gift you can give to your to your child is to teach them uh, and get them into a regular sleep pattern that allows them to get nine hours, eight, nine hours sleep, whatever it is that you decide is the right number, every night. So that when they get to school, they learn better, they concentrate better, they have better relationships with other people, uh, and, and they get better grades as a result. Mm. Well, I'm convinced, certainly. So what do we need to do, Edward? Do we just take the phones away at night? What do we need to do? Well, this is, a, again, a very, very difficult, and it's, um, nobody is saying it's as easy, but the, the, the way that I like to look at it is one of the reasons that phones are so fantastic fun is because when you use it and you get, you know, send off texts and get replies back and you get liked on Facebook and that sort of stuff, it releases little tiny boosts of dopamine. And dopamine is is a great drug in in uh, in that it makes you feel happy and it makes you uh, it makes you feel happy. But it is an incredibly addictive drug. It's the same drug that you release when, for instance, you get into gambling or uh, or drinking or smoking. It's the same same drug and what I tried, the thing that really brought it out to me, particularly with my teenagers, was the idea that if you went into your child's bedroom and you found a empty bottle of vodka on the pillow next door to him or her, you would go ballistic and you'd have a few words to say. And yet, you go into, the, into that room and you see a telephone, mobile telephone, still on right next door to their face, or, and as my son the other day had it on his, on his back, uh, and 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 we are the drug pushers. That phone belongs to us. It doesn't belong to the uh, the kid. We paid for it. We pay for it to function. We pay for the uh, it to be connected to to um, the internet and to the into uh, all all the networks. Uh, and yet, I very often go in and people say, "But I can't take the phone off them because it's theirs. It's not. It's not theirs. It's yours." And again, that is going to be the big. Um, the big challenge, I suppose, for both us, but also for our kids, is this uh, bit of kit is one of the most powerful bits of kit that the world has ever invented, I think. Uh, you can talk to people across the world instantaneously. You can influence millions of people just by sending out the odd bit of, bit of text. You can do things now with that. Uh, you can find information out. You can solve problems. It is such an incredible tool that we never had in our generation. And yet it is so, so very dangerous. And so there has to be an education piece as to how to use this tool for the good of the world, uh, to make the world a better place, and for it not to destroy people. And yet the teachers, I, you and me, we're, we're just trying to catch up. We're trying to get back on... On, uh, into a position where we know more. And the, and the kids are hopelessly addicted, so they're not going to be doing a teaching. So where's this teaching going to come from? And, and that, is going to be, that is going to be a key piece, I think, for this next generation, is to learn to use the tool for what it is, to change the world for a better place, uh, and to avoid the pitfall that it is associated with an incredibly addictive and, and life-destroying um, drug. This is such a profound conversation, Edward, which is, of course, why I wanted to have you on the show. And it is provocative. You and I talked about the fact that the content that we knew we were going to talk about was going to be provocative. And I wanted to be part of the process to help bring this to light. So part of what you also said when we were talked before about, about the whole notion of, of cell phone usage is that when, in fact, it should be something that makes every, everything so much better, it actually makes us more insecure. Would you say more about that? Yeah, again, it's sort of harking back to the, the this, this social media thing is that again you are you are you can be a victim um, because everyone has the power to 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 um, effectively do you over uh, online uh, and make your life very very uncomfortable. And so um, I, I think if something bad happened in your class. Um, before social media and before um, worldwide transmission, you know, there'd be a select number of people that you wouldn't be able to look in the eye for a number of days or weeks. But now you don't know who it is, and it's everybody. It could be everybody. So that's going to cause insecurity and unhappiness and all of those things. But again, it's about, it's about education. It's like, you know, 
young people should we should probably be encouraging young people to be more confident about themselves and their abilities and to focus on those uh, and, and also the relationships that they have with other people who, you know, real friends, real people that you care about. Those are the people that we should be focusing on, not on some random person who happens to be a friend of yours on Facebook. I certainly agree with that. Certainly. Um, we've just got a couple minutes left here, Edward, and I always like to be able to give my guests a chance to be able to, to close the show as they like. Final parting thoughts. What would you like to leave our listeners with today? Um, well, I, I, there's a whole ton of stuff that I, I could talk about, but I, I think possibly the best advice that I could give is to get hold of a couple of, copy of Carol Dweck's book, Mindset. Uh, and the reason I say that is I'm reasonably dyslexic. I find it very hard to read books. Uh, and this book, I couldn't put it down. I probably read it in one or two sessions. Uh, and when I read it, I thought, this is about me, it's about the relationships I have, it's about the way I think about stuff. And then I gave it to my wife, and she said exactly the same thing. Not that it was about me, but it was about her. And then she took it into her company, and she gave that book to everybody in her department because she felt that they needed to look at it. Uh, and it is about not what you just do in your daily life, but it's also you know, you, the relationships you have with your kids, with your spouse, with with other people uh, that you meet on a day-to-day basis and about how you learn and how and how sometimes you don't learn and you make the same mistakes over and over again because you're not learning. Uh, so that would be my main thing that I would encourage people to to get hold of that particular book. And, of course, um, we've written a book as well called Release Your Inner Drive for kids because it's got lots of pictures in it because um, I like looking at pictures. So well worth buying out for your kids. Uh, wonderful way to finish, Edward. I have completely and thoroughly enjoyed this important conversation, and I wanted to help bring it to light. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me on your show. If you want to learn more about Edward Watson and the work that they do at Inner Drive, visit their website. It's www.innerdrive.co.uk. So innerdrive.co.uk. And definitely do check out his book. I think that uh, your perspective on, on Dweck's work was, has added to mine. So that was an incredible. If there's anything like that in the book, then by all means, let's all read that. And join us next week for another conversation to help you more meaningfully and productively connect with your work. See you next week. And remember that work is at one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.